0: Welcome to Name Drop San Diego, a podcast from the San Diego Union Tribune that's all about the amazing people in, around and from San Diego. I'm your host, Christy Totten, and my guest today is Amber St. James. Amber is a non-binary drag queen here in San Diego but they're not an impersonator or even your everyday drag performer. They incorporate social justice themes into their work and commentaries into their art. I first learned of Amber when they wrote a really moving essay for our opinion section about finding their identity. I thought the lesson was really inspiring and universal so I invited Amber on to get to know them better. Here's our conversation. Well, Amber St. James, welcome to Name Drop San Diego. Thanks so much for joining me today.
1: Of course. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) I'm
0: excited too. I'm excited to get to know more about you. Um, To begin, would you introduce yourself, uh, you know, with the biographical details you feel like are important to know?
1: Absolutely. Um, so my name is Amber St. James, uh, pronouns they've been theirs, or she, her, hers. Um. I am the African bearded drag queen of San Diego. Um, I'm also a co-founder for a production company that I started with my drag sisters, co-sisters of St. James Productions. Uh, and I'm also the overall mother of the House of St. James here in San Diego, California. Um. And aside from that, I'm also a recent college graduate. So she has the education and the degree. Awesome. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you. What was your major?
1: Um, My major was interdisciplinary studies with an emphasis in three departments being Africana studies, communication, and counseling and social change. So it really influenced like my activism and how it's kind of been buried into a lot of my drag.
0: Yeah, definitely. It seems very related to what you're already doing. Are you planning to also apply it to something else?
1: Uh, yeah. So it the be long-term goals to become an educator. I do, like, within post-secondary education. Um, I would love to teach with an emphasis in Black queer theory because I love to joke around that I would just get paid to talk about myself. <laughs> um, but I, it is something that I do hold very near and dear to myself, um, because, like, a lot of the theories and stuff that come out of that are things that, are, like, I use on an everyday basis just out of safety and, like, out of being able to just navigate this world that, like, consistently is telling me, like, oh my god, you shouldn't be here. And I'm like, mm, that's what you're wrong. Actually, I shouldn't. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's amazing. And, and so that's what I want to talk to you about. Um, You wrote a really powerful essay for the Union Tribune this year about um, finding yourself and your confidence and just, you know, sort of getting out there living, um, you know, proudly. Um, Could you talk about that? You wrote in the essay, you haven't always been this confident. Now you're a person that's like on stages in front of people, empowering other people. But how did you gain that confidence?
1: Honestly, so I gained that confidence by like surrounding myself uh, around a lot of other queer people that were kind of showing things that I wanted to be right like they became possibility models for me so a lot of that happened like once I actually got to college because at that point I was being able to reclaim a little bit of my own autonomy and not living in the house. Um, and I would come to the pride center here on campus and all the time, like I would see, you know, different queer people and they would talk about their lives and we would, you know, kiki and cut up. Um, but from that, like, I would start to see that there were ways that they were reclaiming their freedom and like their identity. And I was like, Oh, I want to do that. Right. Or even in just the conversations that we would have where they would like drop, you know, little hints and words and things and like, Oh, let me go look that up. And I'm like, Oh, like this word I I resonate with this or, oh, I resonate with their experience. Like, does that mean that I'm maybe the same way, right? So being able to actually see people that were living the life that I subconsciously knew I wanted to live, but didn't know how to access is what helped me push myself to be like, no, like try something, like try a little bit here and there um, to where now here I am, the confident, empowering icon that I am. (laughs)
0: I love it. Well, I mean, that's so true, right? Like, it's like, if you can't see it, it's hard to be it. And you mentioned Mm -hmm. coming across terms, coming across people. I mean, what were the terms and ideas that, that you came across that really like changed the game for you and changed the way you were thinking?
1: Definitely. I think for me, especially because a lot of times, like when I was at home, I had to find community through the internet. Um, it was like certain internet terms and things that helped me. Like for instance, for a really long time, the term, um, what is it? Tom Girl? Tom Girl. Yes, Tom Girl. Um, so it was kind of like the flip on like the whole tomboy of like, you know, someone who is typically read as femme but uh, presents very masculine, right? Um, and so I found this term Tom Girl, which was the, I don't want to say the opposite of that because that obviously is like perpetuating binaries, which, you know, I don't believe in. Um, but it, for me, was something that I resonated with because I was like, oh, these are like males or masculine red folks. Um, that are presenting very feminine or that are in touch with their femininity or are not afraid to, you know, be more from presenting and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, that's like kind of, that's what I want to do or that's what I like or that's where I kind of see myself and so from there um I started like using that hashtag and like following other people that look like that and from there I started to actually connect with people I was like oh like these people follow these people and like you know being able to start to connect myself with resources and people that were living the life that I wanted to live and being able to start to emulate parts of that in my own life or figuring out ways where I could do that especially in the midst of still living at home partially um you know during the summers and stuff like that so trying to find ways where I could access my liberation even in the midst of I don't necessarily want to say oppression, but, like, in the midst of not the best kind of home circumstances, necessarily.
0: Yeah, I mean, do you mind if I ask more about that? What were some, did you experience, Did you experience you know, pushback growing up trying to find your identity and, you know, I- express yourself?
1: Um, A bit, uh, I think for a lot of folks, like, people of color specifically, like, there are definitely historically reasons for why we have to engage and navigate the world that we do, right? And a lot of it having to be whatever we can do that can get us to the closest proximity to the people in power, right? Because when they see themselves reflected, then they're like, oh, then you deserve to be where you are, right? Which obviously, you know, is like complete BS. Um, So a lot of that is what became issues for me was that I was trying to do something that was not in line with like what had worked for my people, right? Which is, you know, closest to proximity of respectability politics, closest to proximity of whiteness um, or replication and assimilation of whiteness and right act, uh, white attributes and stuff like that um, or professionalism and things like that, right? And so because a lot of my interests and things that I wanted to do as a person were not leaning towards that, it was always an issue um, but not an issue of like, oh, you know, I hate you it was more like, oh, I can, I, out of wanting safety for me, right, and figuring out that, unfortunately, for a lot of our people, the ways in which they were able to find safety was through these, uh, these um, vessels of, like, assimilation, right, um, so, like, trying to figure out who I was and, like, make space for myself in a way where my parents, my family, friends, and stuff like that, um, that didn't necessarily always understand could be able to see, like, I'm trying to find me and while I hold space for like understanding that you want me to be safe and understanding like the world's gonna like, you know, treat me differently. The world already treats me differently just because I'm black and I'm dark skin, right? So why not add more to it? Like, what's the difference (laughs) if they already don't like me? What's the difference of adding a couple more things that they don't like?
0: Yeah, well, what has been your experience? I mean, out in the world and do you think it's getting better?
1: My experience, um, it's definitely, I will say I feel like sometimes I have two different experiences right um, and I, I kind of have started to meld into only one now, um, but before. Uh, before I'd like kind of gotten much closer with my mother and like we'd found an actual understanding of my gender identity and stuff like that, um, I had to almost live two different worlds, very Hannah Montana. Um, So one world where like I was very femme presenting whenever I like wasn't at home or wasn't in her presence. Um, And then, you know, the me that had to be more mask presenting when I was around her or when I was at home and stuff like that. And so I kind of got to see how the world engaged with me depending on how it read me, right? When it read me as feminine, um, there was almost this, idea that I was like less threatening, right, which obviously from a historical standpoint, we understand that like Black folks, specifically like masculine presenting folks or males, quote unquote, um, have always been seen as like aggressors, right, because of understanding, you know, how they were deemed in the midst of slavery, um, their relationship, uh, their relation um, to this idea of aggressiveness in relation to white women and stuff like that, right, and so I recognize that like when I was feminine presenting, people didn't really see my Blackness anymore, they're like, oh, you're gay, like that's what it is, right, but then the moment that I would have you like you're ready to go home and like have to take off the hair and the heels and the rest of the fabulousness um I was then read as this threat, or I was seen as like you know this scary black male and I'm like um excuse me <laughs> so that has like been what my experience used to be but now that I go throughout the world as myself more often like more from presenting because I am more femme of center um people don't really engage with me like that anymore but I'm still very cognizant of understanding that like it only takes like the switch of a wig for them to immediately be like, oh, I have to be on guard, you know? So that's definitely been something that's difficult, but I think that part of what I've done to combat against that is definitely within my drag of making sure that people can't try to erase the blackness that is like very apparent with me, which is why like a lot of my numbers and performance and like branding as a drag queen is very like pro-black and very much talking about, um, you know, pro POCs and, you know, uh, queer and trans people of color and stuff like that, because so often, we are forced to have to choose an identity. It's like either you're queer or you're a person of color, right? There is no in-between, there is no intersectionality. That's just like, oh my God, what a word, right? So trying to create space where I could be all parts of me is where I've been able to combat a lot of misconceptions about like people who look like me. Mm
0: -hmm. That seems like a difficult line to walk. I mean, it sounds like you've sort of freed yourself from that, but you know, having Mm. to play one person part of the time, another person, part of the time. Yeah. Um, Okay. will you talk to me about your drag performances. So I haven't seen you in person. I would love to see it. I can't wait to see it, but I have watched a lot of your um, videos on Instagram and they are delightful. Like I was cracking up earlier today, just going through some of them. Um, So, you know, (laughs) uh, tell me about what you're out there doing.
1: Absolutely. Um, So as I said in the beginning, I am the African bearded queen. Um, So I came to become that And this is always something that I, like, kind of love to talk about, Um, but I, as most queens are, like, when they start in drag, like, they'll have, like, the one artist that they really like, and so that's what they perform, right? Um, And so I started off as a Beyonce girl, like, I love to do Beyonce, because I was like, oh my god, I stand, I live for her, you know? (laughs) Aside from like the whole privilege of like being a rich woman, which we understand, but also, you know, nuance, nuance and understand. Right. Um. So like I started off doing a lot of like Beyonce numbers and stuff like that. And as I was um, like taking college courses and stuff like that, I was taking a lot of um, ethnic studies courses. I was starting to get into um, the Africana studies and things like that. Um, and they just really started to marry together where I was starting to figure out my identity and find pride in that, right? And at the same time, I was also starting to figure out like my queer identity and surrounding myself around a lot more queer people. Um, I started working at the uh, San Diego State University Pride Center um, and helping them drag shows and stuff like that. Um, And like being surrounded by like all these parts of my identity and getting to learn more about it. I was like, oh my God, I have so much pride in this, right? Like I am um, the manifestation of the works of my ancestors and I should walk in that power, right? And so in doing that in my everyday life outside of drag, I was like, well, why don't I do that in my drag? Like I'm starting to have interest in that. I want to bring more of myself into this. I don't want to just like, like I'm a good entertainer and I could do Beyonce, but I'm like, I don't just want to do that. Like I want to do more. I want to figure out how can I utilize the space that I hold while doing this performance to activate somebody, right? To teach them about all these things that are exciting me that I'm learning about myself, right? Um, but it was through there that I started to um, create more numbers that talk to my actual experience, um, you know, about being a black person in America, about being non-binary, about being trans, about all these different kind of things. And from there, people were always blown away. And I'm like, oh my god, like that that that's it. That that's my thing. Like. This is something that I enjoy to do. That is also part of me being able to be an activist and an educator. Because in the midst of them, you know, being able to send the crowd, I'm like, "Oh my God, yeah, she's turning it out." They're also learning something, right? And so I'm like, "Oh my God, like this, this just makes sense." Um, and so now here I am um, as the African bearded queen because, like, a lot of the things that I want to do, I want to show the beauty and the dynamic variety that there is and the black experience. Um, you know, looking at the diaspora of it, um, and I'm bearded which is really what's funny. Um, I'm bearded because when I first, first, first started drag, again, I had a little bit of a tumultuous relationship with my mother. um, So I couldn't really tell her that I did drag. And so I couldn't be shaving my beard like every few weeks. And she'd be like, well, why are you shaving your beard? When I've never done that, it would would raise too many questions. So I'm like, all right, we'll have to figure out a way to incorporate the beard, right? Um, And so as I began to do that, um, as a trans person, um, I had a lot of body dysmorphia. And when I would get into drag and see the beard, I was able to see that there was beauty, even with the facial hair, which was a, which helped me in being able to actually see beauty in myself outside of when I was in drag. And so I'm like, oh my God, this is not something that I love. This is not something that is incorporated and that has become endearing to me, like something that I appreciate and I am proud of, right? Um, and here we are now.
0: <laughs> I love it. You're like the drag professor.
1: Um... <laughs> Very much so. Very much so.
0: <laughs> well, um, what is your relationship like with your mother now? Did she ever come around to to accept this?
1: Yeah, so um, it was in the midst of quarantine uh, and we, long story short, before we get into like the deep of it, um, we had like gone back and forth with her uh, kind of trying to understand like my queerness as an identity um, and me myself trying to understand like my gender identity um, and always kind of being afraid that if I came out to her or if I was too much of myself, I would lose her or she would push me away because she was already like on her own journey to trying to figure out things and whatnot. Um, and so in the midst of quarantine, after already having had some moments where like she would find certain things and I'd have to, you know, be a liar and be like, oh no, that's, that belongs to a friend or, oh, th- I didn't mean to send you that flyer. That was, that was made by my friend who's in a, a, an art class. That's, yeah, don't worry about that. right? So different things where I would have to, you know, figure out on the spot how to continue to hide these parts of my life where I was being able to access my freedom. Um, And so we were doing like digital shows and stuff like that in the midst of quarantine. And one day she walked in um, as I was preparing to get into full drag and everything like that. And I kind of was just forced to tell her everything because there was drag all over the house. Like I had dresses everywhere. I had wigs everywhere. I had half of my makeup on and she walks in the house. She's like, oh my God, what the hell is going on? What is happening? Um, And we kind of had a big argument about it, but through that argument, we were starting to have the tough conversations that we weren't we weren't allowing ourselves to have because both of us were kind of afraid to have those really tough conversations about like okay what is happening right who who am I um, to her as her child and her actually getting to know me and me kind of letting go of a lot of the fears that I had um and that I operated on and assumed and you know hid so much of myself from her because of that fear of like oh my god she's gonna reject me right and so through those really tough conversations we began to actually see each other for like the first time like truly and authentically and from there we were able to start building that foundation of like okay like let's let's be on this journey together instead of trying instead of me trying to like hide part of that journey or her feeling afraid to ask about that journey right um and so now we're at a place where she's actually gone to one of my shows she uh just went to the past um, Black Romantic that I was hosting for VHAS uh, uh, Casino uh, and Resort um, with The Vixen and Mayhem Miller. Um, and that was like her first show that she'd ever been to in person of like seeing me perform and stuff like that. Um, but between uh, what was it? 2020? Yeah, it was like a little bit into 2020 Um, like when she found out about the drag and so once I started to be like more honest and telling her like about the times of gigs that I would do um, and also telling her about the kind of performer that I was and that, you know, I am not just um, which is not trying to be shady, but like I'm not just a typical drag queen that's like, oh, I just like go do a number. It's like, no, like I'm very intentional about my performances. I'm very intentional about like who I am as a brand and who I am as like an Amber St. James. Um, and she was being able to actually find pride in that and be like, oh, I'm, I'm actually really, really proud of you and like how you've used your platform and like what you do as a performer, like, you are doing activist work. You are being the educator that you like have always wanted to be. Um, So we've gotten so, so, so close now. And it feels honestly so beautiful to be able to share that part of myself with her because for so long as a single mother, um, she was always my best friend. And so it always really hurt that I felt so scared to share part of my life with her, to share this like really integral, beautiful part of my journey with her. So I'm glad that we get to be on the journey together now.
0: That is so incredible and so moving. I had goosebumps when you were telling me about her coming oh. to your, your performance, but um, and amazing that it was so recent, you know, just over the pandemic.
1: Yeah, so. I mean, but this is after like years and years of like the back and forth, the the crying, the yelling, the arguments, like there had been a lot of years where I was like, I don't know if I'm ever gonna be able to like fully come out to her and be my most authentic self. Um, but again, you know that was part of that fear, which I feel like a lot of times we're queer folks because of trying to figure out how to safely navigate this world we make a lot we have to make very quick decisions right um that aren't necessarily always based on like the realities of what we're living it's like okay if I perceive that this is going to be something that's dangerous for me instead of figuring it out and it actually being dangerous I'm just going to make a decision that isn't going to isn't going to force me to have to even enter into that kind of uh, realm and I think you know that is valid for that was valid for me at that time, right? That was what I perceived to be the best decision that I could make at that time. Um, But I'm honestly very glad for where I am now. Um, And even through all of those tough years, there was a lot that I learned. There was a lot that, you know, I was able to grow from that um, and things that I wouldn't necessarily take away.
0: Awesome. Okay, well, I want to talk more about the work you do, but first I have a lightning round, a a few, just a few off the wall questions for you. (laughs) (laughs) The first one is... um, Who's a person who who made a difference in your life?
1: Ooh, um, like in general or in, in general,
0: drag? just in a- anything.
1: Oh my God, that's I know it's kind of hard because I- I've had a lot of people um, that have made a difference in my life. I would definitely say like the teachers that I've had growing up have always been amazing because they've always seen me even when I didn't see me, um, and so they would always create space for me to kind of be myself even when it was. In opposition to like what the universe was telling me right um or not the universe what society was telling me um aside from that definitely my dry family has definitely you know changed my life in um, being able to be there for me in really tough moments in great moments um my mother obviously is something that has definitely changed my life um for for good and for worse um <laughs> but always you know something that I'm learning and developing um, and you know being able to take from that and learn and grow. Um, And definitely a lot of the girls that I've been able to work with from Drag Race, I feel like every time I've been able to work with a new girl, it's always a learning moment for me. And it's always great to be able to connect with them on a human level and not just like, oh my God, I'm a fan. But it's like, yeah, I'm a fan of what you do, but also like on a human to human level, like thank you for doing what you do because it allowed me to see that like, there was a possibility for me to be me and me to do what I want to do.
0: Okay, what is a pet peeve of yours?
1: Um, um hmm. Oh, I think what's a pet peeve of mine, uh, which is probably because I have ADHD. But it's definitely like when I get interrupted in the middle of like, like saying a thought, because like, if I don't, if I don't complete the idea or like complete the sentence of something, I might forget what the sentence was. And then I'll be really agitated because I'm like, oh, I can't remember what it was that I was saying, but it was really important. I remember it was important. So I think that's definitely a pet peeve of mine that I've definitely noticed um but I'm glad that I'm able to know why that is because I used to be very mad about it and wasn't able to attach it I was like oh that's because of your ADHD
0: (laughs) definitely can relate okay what is your
1: (laughs) what is your favorite food and your least favorite food Ooh, um my favorite food anything with really good flavor I love like really good rich food I'm a little bit of a foodie um I would say foods that I don't like and I can't like, I, it's very generalized, but like really super sweet fruity foods. It's just too overpowering for me, like for my nose. And so mm. like, I can't even bring myself to eat it because I'm like, oh, this is too much. Like I, this it, is overwhelming. Are you talking
0: about like one of those holiday cakes people like a, <laughs> what are these even called? Like, like what's like too a, fruity and, and sweet?
1: Mm. Ooh, like for instance, like there are some energy drinks that are like, have a really pungent fruity smell. That is like really overpowering like um uh-huh. like monsters and uh-huh. stuff like that like like when people open them up i'm like
0: oh yeah i get you i like, like oh, those, i can't those
1: overly like artificial flavors yeah, yeah. Too. i'm like this doesn't this doesn't smell organic <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay what would be your perfect san diego day
1: Ooh, the perfect San Diego day for me would be like not too hot, not too cold, but the sun is out because like I'm very much almost like a cat and that I fully could just sunbathe, like just take (laughs) a nice and warm nap. Um, going to the park, probably doing like a cute little lunch, um, and then ended on the beach watching the sunset.
0: Awesome. Quintessential San Diego.
1: Fully. (laughs) You know, I'm born and raised.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, what was your favorite, uh, toy as a child?
1: Ooh, um, my favorite toy as a child was probably my stuffed animals. I had a lot of them, um, and they all had names. I don't remember them now, um, but they all had, like, names, and, like, they all had, like, a special place because they were all – like, they would be given to me at different, like, moments, and so they would all have, like, a special memory to them.
0: That's so sweet. You don't have them
1: anymore? Uh, I don't think I do, or they're somewhere in storage. They're either in storage or – I may have donated them because at some point, I think I was like, That's all right, sweet. I, this yeah. is taking too much space on my bed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Somebody was telling me a tip for that is like things that have sentimental value. You don't want to part with, like you can take a picture and reference that yeah. picture. And it actually does help you let go a little bit. It's mm-hmm. helped me anyway. I'm like, I should keep that, but I don't have space for it. And you take a picture. You're like, okay, I can get rid of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. And what finding, this is the final question in the lightning round. Um, what is something on your bucket list? Something that you haven't done yet, but really want to
1: do Mm. Oh. Um. Mm. I really don't know because I I'm I'm very much an idea person so there's a lot of things that, like I want to do before like the big goodbye <laughs> <laughs> the the true final performance if you will um I don't, I really, I don't know. I don't know how to like pinpoint it down. Like there's so much I wanted, like, I want to make movies. I want to be able to like direct plays. Like I want to, that sounds very cliche but I want to change the world. (laughs) Yeah. So if I could change the world before like I go that would be amazing. That would, that's top of the bucket list. It's Change the world in like some way.
0: I think that you may have already accomplished that but continue to
1: change the world. I I have a sneaking suspicion.
0: (laughs) Okay. Um, well, you know, going back to your work, when I was looking at your Instagram, like you create, you design and create your own outfits, which is incredible. Uh, you made the Black Lives Matter one recently. Like, how mm-hmm. do you get ideas? How did you learn that skill? Just tell me more about that passion.
1: Definitely. Um, so a lot of that comes from, honestly, so when I had like first started out in drag, I was obviously broke because um, I was a college student I was a freshman I didn't have a job I was like just coming from living at home so it's like I've never had a job I don't know how to work I didn't know how to work with an E not with an o. <laughs> um and so I was like okay I have to like try to figure out how to create like a wardrobe when I don't have access to money Um, and my grandmother like years and years and years before that had like taught me how to crochet Um, and like me being the very creative imaginative person that I am and also with my ADHD and like just getting bored sometimes I'm like ooh, I wonder if I could make this right and so I would do so many different products where I would like try to make something even though I didn't know how to do it but mm. I was like oh I can like figure it out like I can, if I can mentally take it apart then I can mentally put it together right and so from there like I learned how to create or I learned how to design garments and figure out how to put them together even if I didn't know how to sew, right mm. because a lot of times when you're crocheting like obviously you are having to make the fabric and then also make the garment right because you're having to do all the things you're like making it out of yarn Um, And so from there is where I really started to hone my skill and learning how to design and like put outfits together. Even if I didn't know how to sew or I didn't have, you know, the fabric or whatever. I was like, I know how to mentally put this together. Like almost like, um, almost like a history channel, how it's made, how like they'll dissect and they'll take these these things apart. That's how my brain works. I'm like, if I can figure out how to take this thing apart then I know how to reverse engineer it, right? Um, and so then when I started to you know actually have a job, start working, be able to like actually have some sense of like income and things like that, um, I started to want to push myself to do more, especially with like becoming even more creative. Um, and so now, again, I still don't necessarily know how to sew, but I am, I am quite the whiz at a good hot glue gun. Um, <laughs> and so now like I make a lot of my garments like using hot glue because I'm like that's easiest for me and also doesn't take super long. Well, it probably would be much quicker to learn how to sew, but also I don't have the time and energy. So I'd much rather just <laughs> use a hot gun. You know, it's fine. It works out. Um, and so now I'm able to like understand how to put things together. And now I can do more with like the design wise of like, okay, what does it look like? What does it feel like? What is the message that I want to go behind it? Um, for example, with the Lives matter dress and the actually set of garments that I did for that specific number, um, it came to me because uh, a lot of times when I create my performances, because I am very much a performance type of pre- a type performer. That makes sense. Um, but because I am more performance-based and not necessarily, like when I started, I wasn't necessarily like, oh my God, like I'm gonna have the fiercest makeup. I was like, no, I'm just gonna perform really well and people are gonna be entertained. So for me, it always starts at like, what is the performance that I wanna do? What is the message that I want to communicate, right? And then from there, I figure out what music goes with that. Um, what kind of reveals do I want? Um, and then from there, I can then start to figure out, okay, then what kind of look should I have that works for this performance, this song, this message, right? Um, so I already knew that. for that performance i wanted to do something that was speaking on like you know black lives matter with everything that had happened um during the summer with the uh resurgence in a global uh lens of black lives matter um and also because it was a halloween show and i did want it to still be entertaining i was like well how do i take like, how do I put the amber spin on Halloween, right? Like, I want to do something that's obviously ooky, spooky, scary, but like, something that also meant something. And so I was like, well, what is actually scary for me is like, being Black in America, like, that is kind of terrifying, right? So how can I communicate that, not only in the performance, um, but also in what I'm wearing. And from there, I was like, okay, well, I know I want a dress that says Black Lives Matter, but I don't want it to just be like a run-of-the-mill something I just bought on Amazon. I was like, no, let's go for like, um you know a white you know kind of dress that i can be able to add things to you know put the actual perspective of like what i wanted to say and things like that um i knew that i wanted the performance to end with something that was reminiscent of black panthers so that's why the final garment was uh all leather um and then i knew the start of it because i found um i don't remember how i found this clip but i found this clip of um angela davis talking about capitalism and racism and how the two of those coincide with each other um and influence each other and i was like oh i know that i want that as part of it and if I did that, how do I become the embodiment of capitalism, right? And so I was like, okay, let's do like something with green, but also something that has money on it, but something that has a message. And so on the back, um, I stenciled, uh, demolish her and then capitalism underneath it. So that we, you know, very queer of like demolish her, um, uh, but obviously <laughs> letting the people know who is her, her is capitalism, right? Um, and so then from there, uh, you know, beginning to actually put it together, especially like the one that I really um, spent a lot of time on was definitely the Black Lives Matter dress and the All Power to All People um, Black Panther uh, inspired um, leather outfit. Um, and I, I kind of sucks that like there's a lot of details that are in it that people actually probably can't see when I'm performing, but like on the sleeves um, is all of the names of all of the trans people that we've lost, I think since 2015, mm. um, up until I want to say about 29 no see the 2019 or 2018 because I couldn't fit them all on one side and so on the back part of the sleeve it says um this is for all the names we'll never know right because there's so many names that I one couldn't fit on the garment itself and two for all the folks that like were either misgendered or that stories and narratives were never seen as valued or necessary to be um uh talked about and things like that um and so that dress like really did mean a lot for me because it was something that I Really push myself to put my all into. Um, and then on the flip of that, wanting to go from something that um, uh, on the backside, wanting to do something that was in contrast to that and almost like this resurgence of joy, because I think for a lot of people when they engage with my art, um, not only is it something that's activist heavy, but there's also a sense of joy in that because I'm always trying to show a complete holistic narrative of like, yes, we go through struggles. Yes, we you know, go through oppressions in these systems, but we should always be striving to create joy, right? We should always be striving to figure out how can I reconnect and reclaim my joy in that, right? So on the back, I have Black and Proud and Proud is in rainbow colors. Um, and then I have, uh, again, the fists that are on the front that I did hand make or uh, hand draw myself. Um, and they have um, these picket signs that say you are enough because in my drag family that is like um that is like our internal saying to each other of like how we affirm each other is we tell each other like you are enough and I see you because so often we as queer people and marginalized uh people with these kind of identities are so often told like you know we're not enough and we're so often erased so we're not seen so just having someone look you in your eyes and tell you you're enough and I see you is so powerful.
0: Well, I love that I love, you know, it's a beautiful garment I love how much thought went into it you know there's such a message there and like every part of it has symbolism, and I'm also mm. blown away that you you make clothing with glue guns. Like that's even <laughs> more Incredible. Um, but, Okay, I, I wanted to ask you two two more um, quick questions, but the first one Absolutely. is what. You know, what is your advice for people who um, are searching for themselves or or want to find a passion that they're afraid they'll be judged for or, you know, or just like Mm. in in any way, like in a a dilemma where it's like, I want to do this, but I'm scared.
1: Yeah, I think what has always helped me is learning that it's baby steps, right? Like we don't have to immediately like go out and like do the thing, right? Like we could just try small moments, small moments of joy, (laughs) if you will right? Like for instance, for me, like how I got to be who I am is from trying little things and figuring out, okay, what worked for me? What did I like? What was, what was I comfortable with? And how much more am I willing to push myself just a little bit more, right? Because when you look at it from the overarching sense, it can become really overwhelming of like starting something new or beginning to try to um, figure out, you know, your own identity or figure your own self-expression and, you know, figuring out how you want to exist in this world. And so instead of looking at it from that bigger picture, I'm like, well, let's just look at it at one small thing, right? Let's just wear a high heel today, right? Let's just throw on a wig today, right? Let's just do this. Let's just do that, right? So it makes it it um, it makes it not so overwhelming and a little bit easier to try to digest and try to actually do, right? Because if you're trying to do the bigger thing, that could be that much more scarier versus like, okay, I can, I can do this little thing and I can push a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And then by the end, you're at where you want it to be, right? Um, and that's what's worked for me. That may work for other people, who knows? You know, we're all different and we all have different journeys. Um, but that's definitely been something that I do tell a lot of people is, you know, we have to be able to have um grace and patience with ourselves, right? And not push ourselves to feel like we have to compare to what society is telling us or what other people's journeys are. We're all on our own journey and it's gonna take us however long it takes us to get to where we are, but we have to find joy and peace knowing that it's our journey and we get to decide how it looks.
0: Beautifully said. (laughs) okay and final final question where can people go to see you perform
1: oh actually i have a performance tonight
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, sadly this won't um, come out until next yeah i was like unfortunately (laughs) this is not
1: yeah Yeah. Uh, but um, predominantly if people are trying to see where i'm performing at they can definitely follow me on all of my social medias um on instagram it is mxs saint james um and then on all other platforms it's amber saint james on twitter on facebook um that's really it. <laughs> I haven't really gotten into TikTok. That one kind of scares me, but my drag children are consistently telling me they're like, mother, get on to TikTok. You're all you already know how to do a reel, so you already know how to do a TikTok." You would run TikTok. Um,
0: I really highly. I, I feel this. like I might.
1: It's, <laughs> I just have to get used to like the 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 interface. It's yeah. very different. Very okay. very different. I get it. Um, but yeah, that's where people can find me. Outside of that, um, if they're looking for different shows that I produce, um, as I said, with uh, me and my drag sisters, we have our uh, production company, Sisters of St. James Productions. Um, that on Instagram is S-O-S-J-P-H-A-U-S, so S-O-S-J-P-H-A-U-S, um, and then if they're looking to see what my drag family is doing or any of that kind of stuff, they can also follow us on Instagram at House of St. James, also spelled H-A-U-S. Um, so yeah, that's, that's all the places where people can find me and, you know, see what I'm bebopping to and doing.
0: Thank you again to Amber St. James for joining me, and thank you for listening. We're going to take the next week off for Thanksgiving. We'll be back after that.